For our first meditation, I would like to go back to the quote uh, from, from Miles Neal about the key uh, around healing trauma, purifying karma. And as I read before, he says the key is to recognize and stay present with an unpleasant karmic effect. Yeah, so that's the first, to recognize and stay present with any unpleasant karmic effect. So talking about this, this moment, to recognize and stay present, is that for you right now? Maybe you feel tired or you have some unpleasant energy in your body or there's some chronic tension somewhere in the body. So according to the teachings on, of karma, all of that is manifesting based on previous actions, previous habits. And the second part of this quote is then, while resisting the hook of habituated reaction patterns. Why resisting? So what could be patterns? Could be right now, maybe when you're tired, for example, you might have a pattern of judging that of uh, feeling frustrated around it, wanting it to be different. So that could be, or you notice that your mind goes into some fantasies, yeah, because it seems to be boring to sit here just with yourself and what is happening in, in the body. So then, then one escape pattern we frequently use is to go into fantasy, to look for something which we can't find here somewhere else. And and instruction, the meditative instruction then would be to recognize when we follow these patterns, when we get, get lost in, in the commentary or in fantasies, to recognize that and then to go back to our commitment, to the pledge of uh, being present with what is, to be present, to stay, to stay, to be here with what is. And then the third part then is that we explore what, what are wholesome healing ways to hold the experience as it is. So that would be instructions like welcoming the guests in the guest house of your body, letting things be, allowing, embracing, to give yourself the permission to be yourself, to be loyal to your experience, to accept, to allow, to embrace, to let be. All these instructions, they, they kind of point into the same direction, into a way of being here, which is non-violent, and maybe not only non-violent towards your own experience, even maybe kind caring. And probably most of us here, we kind of feel it would be actually nicer than to do something else than sitting here being tired. And yeah, what is, uh, what I would like to inspire you for is to come to the conclusion and to the, to the intention to sit down to your daily meditation practice, no matter what, to kind of drop these kind of excuses like, Oh, today I have this headache and I don't feel so comfortable or I'm, I'm so busy, I have this anxiety in my solar plexus, I feel bored. The, the, these are the escape patterns. So what I would like to inspire you that as we do now, and you can again feel how supportive it is to do this together, 
Yeah, because I mean, I guess nobody of us right now would sit down at home and meditate. Yeah, we would be outside. You know, particularly if you if you feel a bit tired, then then that's the last choice. But what I would like to inspire you to is to see resistance, tiredness, physical or emotional discomfort, not a sign that you shouldn't meditate, but actually a sign for it's a good time to sit down. It's a good time to be curious about this resistance. It's a good time to, to meet this. You need to let go of this idea that in medita meditation practice is about feeling good. That's not the purpose of meditation. And sometimes we feel good, fortunately. Yeah? Sometimes it kind of we feel better after a meditation practice. But that, that, that's just a side effect, a nice side effect, which is good that it, it happens sometimes, because otherwise probably we, we would give up the project. Yeah? So it's this, um, this possibility which meditation can give you to start to feel comfortable within yourself, no matter what is happening on the karmic, traumatic, conditioned level, to, to be comfortable with that. It's possible for us, and this is not, you know, this is not something like in the future, like enlightenment or something. It is really possible for us to find a sense of a fundamental well-being which is accessible to us at any time. Some kind of okay, this is how I feel, this is my, this is the unpleasant karmic effect. And if I want to feel different in the future or have less of that, the only option to heal and to, or to purify this is to be with it and to touch with it and to unhook from the habits of disassociation, distraction, repression, projection, to, uh, to unhook from that. If you don't feel un uh, discomfort, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah? So, of course, we enjoy that. There's nothing wrong uh, with us. If there's no unpleasant effect, then we relax into that. So a bit of entry protocol, a bit of preparation, you know, starting with the posture, adjusting the posture. If you're really tired, then you might want to experiment a bit with sitting with open eyes, you know, relaxed gaze. That's good to experiment with anyway. The back is straight without being strained, shoulders relaxed, belly softens. To put this in a different way, one could say we explore how we create suffering through resisting what is and how we decrease suffering through accepting, through allowing, through letting things be. Sliding into the body, again, this most important meditation is body work. Healing, and he healing of trauma, purification of karma is body work. Where is karma? Where is trauma? In the body. Where is your access to the Alaya Vijnaya, to the storehouse consciousness? It's the body. If you fall asleep, that's fine with me. It costs 200 krona extra. It's, it's an extra service. <laughs> the floor carrying you. So we shift down 
or shift gear from the head into the body, from doing to being, unhooking from thoughts, we're sliding into the sacred space or the safe space as a group, the Sangha, and then uh, a short invoking of the refuge field, bonding with our mentors or with a symbol of what you want to become. Witnessing, empathic, empathetic witnessing without uh, being overwhelmed by the content of your experience. So you make contact with that which is aware and that gives you the possibility to be present to your experience. Then you can stabilize your attention with the breath or your sensation in your hands or with the sounds. Now being tired is a very uh, rewarding meditation object, actually. That which is aware is not tired, always an awakeness here. And notice also the habits or the patterns of trying to not be here. And if you find yourself entangled or hooked, you make this gentle movement back into present moment awareness. If there is something unpleasant, like a tension in your body or something, that's actually a good anchor with the present moment. So staying present, empathetic witnessing of any unpleasant karmic effect, and relaxing any patterns of resistance, of avoidance, of distraction, of numbness, of spacing out, finding a, a way to be free, not from what is happening, but for what is happening, to be free while that which is happening is happening. Like the sky is free, the, the, the clouds just come and go, but the sky remains free, open. If you sense a lack of care, of kindness, you know, a lack of tseva, warm-heartedness or tenderness, make a little visit to the Dalai Lama or to Jesus or, or to your future self. So I would like to share with you the definition of trauma from Miles Neal. Uh, it's pretty much what I said yesterday. His definition is a subjective experience, and I already said the subjective, that that's important. It's not uh, the event which is traumatic, it's the subjective perception of that event. So we, we can't tell another person, able. Hey, you know, don't make such a fuss, because it depends on the person who is experiencing that event. And a subjective experience to an unexpected, unprepared for, perceived threat to life or bodily harm. So now, remember, 
well, you can try to remember how it feels to be one year old. How much of what you can experience as a one year old is perceived by that one year old as a threat to life or bodily harm. I mean, the little children, they are so vulnerable, so dependent. So, and that's more uh, the kind of trauma we are looking here at. Hmm? So that, that kind of trauma, not the big, big trauma, war, war or rape or something like that. So life or bodily harm of oneself or another, that's also interesting, or another. So you can be actually traumatized by, through observing, through watching news, particularly if through your own psychological history, or through your family history, or through the history of your country, you know, what is called collective karma, or inherited karma, particularly if there's something already within you like that. And then if you watch the news about the war in the Ukraine, all this comes together, and you feel an incredible response an overwhelming response. This is actually uh, something, I read a few articles about that, uh, which is happening in Germany with, uh, with a generation of, of my parents. They, they experience nightmares. They, they have, you know, one of the symptoms, I want to go into the symptoms of trauma, is what is called intrusion. What th that means is kind of flashbacks, nightmares. You mean from the Ukraine war that's happening now that they experienced? Yeah, yes. That's called an intrusion. I mean, with, with war veterans, that's easy to understand. Like, they, they, they are out of the war at home, they are in a parking lot by the shopping mail, and someone closes the door loudly and they go flat to the ground. Yeah? So that's called intrusion. That's now an extreme example. But where are the intrusions in your life? Yeah? For example, your husband says something to you. It's like just like criticizing you a little or something. And you have an immense response to it. Not appropriate to the situation and not appropriate to your poor husband. So that's like the perceptual filters disconnecting us from the reality, disconnecting us from the present moment and then responding to that as if you are still three years old. So then, unexpected, unprepared. So this unprepared is also interesting. Like if we look at it from a practice point of view, it's time for us to get really serious about our practice because difficult times are coming up and more resilient we, are, we will be in the crisis coming, more kinder we will be and less negative karma we will create. So, of course, we can't prepare ourselves for everything and things are always different than we imagined them. But we can do our best. Finding that sacred space within us, finding the, the, the source of our capacity to love with the intention, I'm going to be that kind person when resources are scarce. I'm going to practice generosity to have that intention, to have that aspiration, and then fail, yes, yeah? but with that we plant seeds 
into the personal part of, our, of the Laya Vijnaya, but also seeds, drops of bodhicitta into human consciousness. The corona crisis was just a little exercise for us. So practice, I mean, practice is, I mean, when would we start to practice? When it, where, if not now, yeah? if not now, where there's still some of our wealth is still here, water, food, enough resources, it's still here. It's still full-blown, precious human life, and it's going to be lost. I'm not saying in the next five years. Who knows? I mean, who knows what's going to happen in Ukraine, yeah? So, bodily harm of oneself or another, in which one's normal coping mechanisms are overwhelmed. So, in other words, you don't have the capacity to integrate the emotional experience. It's too much for your system. What options do you have then is to suppress, to dissociate, to space out, to leave the situation. And it leaves you feeling disconnected and hopeless. So the feeling of disconnection, that's an important part of traumatic experience. So now I, would, uh, I will uh, share with like four characteristics of, ca uh, of trauma and I will make a bit of a comparison with uh, the teachings on karma. As you know, there's also, or as you don't know, but there is also what is called the four characteristics of karma. So four characteristics of trauma, four characteristics of karma. And I mentioned them partly already. So the first is trauma is invisible. It's not obvious. Invisible, you can't see it. The same way with the, the, the karmic seeds. They are invisible. It takes work to become aware of how your perception of the things, of the events in your life distort, are distorted. It's, it takes work. It's not obvious. It appears as if the things are how they appear to us that they exist in the way they appear to us. So it's not obvious, it's invisible. One of the characteristics of karma is it's dormant. It's stored in the alaya vijnaya. It shapes our life, but we are not aware of it. So conclusion here, as practitioner, what we are asked to do is to make the invisible, that what you can't see, visible, to bring it into consciousness, to become aware of the karmic shaping of the world we live in, of the world you live in. And that's not so easy. How do you make that which is invisible, which we can't really see directly with our senses, how can we bring that into our conscious? How can we become aware of it? Then we get into the topic of the shadow, blind spots. How can we become aware of blind spots within us? How, how can you become aware that you often suppress your emotions? That's an important part. How can we make that invisible, visible? Yes. But, um, I understand the comic seeds I can't see, but uh, some of my patterns I can see. So, yeah. I mean, over time, you start to see your pattern, so isn't it visible? Yeah, but in order for you to see your patterns, 
the reason why you are able to, to see that, you, you started to look. You started to become interested. So that's already part of the process of making the invisible visible. Like someone, like my mother, she was just how she was. She didn't, for someone who doesn't seek that kind of knowledge, that, sign, uh, that kind of self-awareness, that kind of self-inquiry, it is not like that. No, it's not, a, like a, it's not a blessing or a gift by itself. You have to make it into it. And that's right. One of the ways to get to know a karmic or traumatic patterns is when we become curious about our responses, but also asking some friends, you know, what are actually my blind spots? What do I, where do I don't see? So you know, let's say a friend of you, someone you really trust, he says to you kindly, I think you're drinking too much. I think you have a problem. Imagine someone says that to you. Most people would just run away cut the relationship, get angry, blame, deny. So, but if you have been, if you are interested in growth and healing and be, in becoming a source of healing for others, then if this is a friend you trust, you might even, you know, that's like then the karmic uh, instinctive responses in the first, the first response is defense, yeah? like getting angry, upset, you know, what are you saying? I don't have a problem. But, if you have that kind of interest and curiosity and the wish for healing and, and you trust that friend, you will take it with you and you will start to reflect. Mm. It will help you for self-reflection. Are there special techniques, to, like I know you're teaching us now, but are there special techniques when you have people you talk to is always pushing things away? To start to ask the right questions and okay. introspect? Let's, let's start with ourselves, no, not with know, other people. <laughs> yes, it just doesn't work to, uh, you know, it's so, like, it's like, uh, like, for example, me as a teacher, I can give you only what you want to have, what you are open to. It's to try to convince you of anything. It's not going to work uh, with, the, with this good friend who's saying, to you where your initial response is defense. It could be maybe helpful to think of a teacher or the teachings as a good friend like that. Of course, we are not, because the friend could be wrong. Yeah? I mean, the friend might have a problem with drinking him or himself. Yeah? And uh, so, and you don't. But uh, you, you take it serious and you use it for self-reflection. You, know, you don't just put it away. So to have a relationship to a mentor, to teachings, where you are willing to do that, what, what you would do with a friend who tells you that. You chew on it. You, you, not like, okay, he's right, but you, you chew on it. So one of the interesting moments when you're listening to teachings or when you read a book, is the moments when you feel, this is bullshit. This has nothing to do with me. That's not me. When you not even consider to try it out. That would be an interesting moment to pause and to, and to look at that. What, what is that? And then, of course, 
I'm not saying here that we become like believers or followers because not all the medicine which is given by, by teachers or in the teachings is the right medicine for us. Yeah, so we still need to differentiate, but at least to be curious. In Western psychotherapeutical work, one of the ways to become aware of that which is invisible is dreams. Kind of Freudian, the, the way to the unconscious are dreams. Yeah, I think that's about, that's, I think, the quote uh, from Freud. Yeah. The highway to the unconscious are the dreams. So that could be something, if you're interested in dreams, yeah, to look at a bit into that. How your dreams are a, a bit of a feedback of, of what is unresolved in you. Then uh, somatic problems in the body. To, I, I mentioned that, that already. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying something like, yeah, you have cancer and that is a sign that you suppress your anger and you, if you overcome that, then the cancer will dissolve or something. This is, so, this is so stupid and so unkind. Things are too complex. Just as an idea, to, if there's some somatic problem you have, some tension, some pain, something, to maybe kind of bring a bit of a reflection into it, you know, to kind of contemplate, does, does this have to do with some suppression? Does this have to do with something I need to look at? What is, what is being locked in, in that symptom? When we notice that we have the tendency to numb out, to try to escape, to entertain ourselves, what are we trying to avoid through like having our iPhone in the hand all the time? And yeah, so what, what is that? Yeah. When we talk about that kind of numbness, uh, we are talking about something which persists. Uh, like if she would yeah. come next week and the week after. So okay. we, are, we are not talking about here like temporary experience, like two weeks of depression or two weeks of anxiety or two weeks of getting drunk or something. Yeah? So we are talking about persistent recurring patterns and feeling locked in them for a long period. So it's, it's important to distinguish experiences and traits when things become like a, the default mode. We are still in the making the invisible visible. So with teachings on karma, what helps us there is the description of the karmic consequences of certain actions. So we become curious about how the karma, which is based on our past, shapes the experiences we have right now. And we are looking kind of for recurring patterns. Like let's say you uh, have experienced in a repeated way the lack of resources. You're really working hard, you're trying your best, but you, you just don't get your bank account in, into, the, into the black, it stays in the red. Yeah? Or you experience not only once that someone steals from you, but it's, you know, it's the credit card and then a month later your bike and then a few months later someone breaks into your flat. Like these recurring things. Or you, you find yourself to complain a lot about all the arrogant people you meet. 
There's so many arrogant people in the office and in the center and everywhere. There's everywhere arrogant people. So you look for that kind of recurring themes and recurring, uh, recurring stuff happening in your life. Yeah? And then one can contemplate, maybe also use some scriptures or some t teachings on karma. But you can, you can do it also yourself. You can, you can kind of you know, go into a calm place and, do a, and then you ask yourself, what could be the karmic causes for this? What are the karmic causes? Kind of to, to ask your wisdom. Yeah? And, and with the stealing, you know, it seems to be quite obvious. Yeah? There's a lot of people stealing from you. What's the karmic causes for that? It's a lack of generosity. There, there, this is also, again, a good example about our responses to situations like this. Because when we experience lack of resources, so people steal from us, so we have less, our response to that is not gener generosity, but the opposite. So you see, through the response to the experience of theft, our response, we make sure to have that kind of experiences again in the future. Through the karmic impulses, we will be drawn to situations like that. And also, we will start to steal ourselves in, in a direct way or in a symbolic way. Then there's also, I, I'm not going to go into detail with that, but there is like, for example, the teachings on the 10 non-virtuous action. And you study that. And nobody wants to study that. It's, it's like, yeah, because I, I, why? Because we don't want to see it in ourselves. We don't want to see our blind spots. It's threatening. It's boring. Yeah, I've read that before. But uh, have we really looked inside uh, for these patterns which are described in the ten non-virtuous actions? Have we really put the work into cultivating the wholesome opposite of that? The thing I, I said before, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's interesting to become curious about those aspects of the teachings where you feel resistance. Where you, no, I've heard that before, it's boring, it's, it's like philosophy. But maybe, maybe this is actually a friend telling you, I think you drink too much. So one, uh, one of the, just as an example, because I mentioned stealing, so one of the 10 non-virtuous action is stealing. And the remedy to stealing is generosity, honoring the property of others, respecting the property of others. Then you, you contemplate this. Yeah? So you take the list of the non-virtuous action as a way to, to contemplate. And the purpose of that is to make the invisible visible, to bring it into your consciousness. So you become, you know, okay, stealing. You know, so where is stealing? What does that mean? Did I ever steal in my life at all? No. What does stealing mean? You want to be a bit, a bit more creative with, with the word stealing. Yeah? Taxes. Paper in the office, because everyone is doing it. Like little things. And then if you detect things like that, that's very important because then you, then you become aware that, wow, it's still there. They, the capacity to steal in me is there. It just shows into these papers I take from the office, and everyone is doing it. And, yeah, so it's fine. What if this seed, and karma is expandable, huh? another characteristic of karma, so karma is expa expandable. Everything matters. 
every thought, every action matters, which is really inspiring in terms of every smile matters. Every smile matters. It makes a difference. The, and then when we contemplate that and we, we start to, wow, there is tendency inside of me. In Jungian thought, it's called the, the, the shadow. It's really important to start to acknowledge that what one could call the evil is within you, dormant, it's potential. Because that helps us to be forgiving and compassionate with those bad people who steal so much, yeah? they, they, like the companies they, or the government. And how can, how can people do this? It's so horrible. I, yeah, so it's like this projection. That would be one way how, teachings, uh, how the teachings we find in the karma literature can help us to become aware of what's going on. But we need to, like the teachings on the, on the ten non-virtuous actions, it's not like, okay, you go through the list and, okay, so now that's a ton, non, non, ten non-virtuous actions, again, something useless in the Buddhist teachings, <laughs> and I've heard it before, to take this as an advice of the wise Dr. Buddha, our best friend, using those teachings as a way to get to know and to be curious about this in yourself. So again, I have to say it again because this is very important. The most important here is that this investigation and this increased awareness of the processes happening in you, that it is being done with love, with kindness, with forgiveness and with humor. Very important. And with the deepest understanding and insight into no-self. Then you can do it. Then you can look at, and what you're looking at there, when you look at your Alaya Vijnaya, you look at our Alaya Vijnaya. It, it ceases to be me. That's not what you are. Knowing that gives you the space to be ruthlessly honest with yourself. Now again, the kind of inner judge, inner critic, you know, is so loud in us often. So we have to be aware of that. It's not easy to do this healing or this purification practice, you know, pur purification of karma, I think in most cases, you know, vajrasattva practice and things like this, it, it goes wrong for Westerners. It's really difficult to find a healthy way to do it. So it doesn't, it doesn't support this sense of shame and guilt and unworthiness and I'm not good enough and I'm so horrible. It's so difficult for us to not to go there. We have to really be aware of that. It's amazing. I can see it so, so much that people receive these teachings and they get actually traumatized by them. It's a big word, traumatized, yeah? But I, I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about big trauma. These teachings, they are supposed to be medicine. They, they are supposed to uncover our inner beauty, our vitality, our joy. That's what they are meant to do. But they come to us in, in a way that in many cases doesn't help. That's not too bad. <laughs> it's not too bad that it doesn't help. But in some cases it even harms. And that's not in the teachings. It's the way we're listening to them. It's the way how our karmic and traumatic background creates perceptual filters with which we see 
and thing to understand what is being said in the teachings. 